All right. So, um, I want you to turn with me today to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. We're going to read from chapter 12, verse 27, through the end of chapter 13. Uh, A lot of this is is very familiar stuff. So, uh, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? Now, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet, I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned. Like a child, when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Lord, I pray uh, that you would speak to us uh, today. We believe that there are things that you want to say to us, things that we need to hear. And so I pray uh, that our our ears would be opened by you to hear from you, and that you would speak uh, into the hearts and into the, the spirits of every person here, that we would receive what you have for us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul, in chapter 12, he's been talking about spiritual gifts, and then he will again, in chapter 14, talk some more about spiritual gifts, and he drops in chapter 13, uh, right in the middle of these two passages on spiritual gifts, he drops this word about love. Now, keep in mind, 
that when Paul wrote this letter, it didn't have chapters and it didn't have verses. So this, this is just a, uh, a flowing thought that he has. And you, we have a tendency because we have chapters, we pull chapter 13 out and we make it stand by itself. And it doesn't stand by itself. It, it's surrounded by this, this teaching and this emphasis, this talk about spiritual gifts and living by the Spirit. Now, at the end of chapter 13, Paul lifts out three things that he kind of elevates. He's been talking about a lot of stuff that goes on in the body of Christ, a lot of things that happen in the church. And then he elevates three things, kind of sets them apart. Like, you know, these are three things that you really need. You know, if you can't have anything else, let's have these three things. Uh, faith, hope, and love. And, and the truth is, um, not much has changed. Even though it may seem like a lot has changed since Paul wrote this letter, not much has changed since Paul wrote this letter. We still, the, these still are the three things. These are the three things that we need. Faith, hope, and love. Now, faith, sometimes we think of, if you, uh, if you look up faith in the dictionary, it will say uh, confidence or strong belief in someone or something. We have a tendency to connect uh, faith with belief and think, you know, faith and believing uh, maybe are the same thing. Uh, but faith is a, is a little bit deeper. It's a little bit stronger than just believing. If I say that I believe in you, you could, you could interpret that a couple of ways. Bruce, if I said I believe in you, it may just mean that I believe you exist. I believe that there is a Bruce, and he sits on the third row, right? But if I could say the same words, I believe in Bruce, and attach a greater meaning to it, it would mean I, I believe that Grace, that, that Bruce is someone who, who will do what he said he will do. Uh, I believe in him. I have confidence in him. Faith is more than just an intellectual belief. It's more than just I believe that there's a God. Faith is more than just I believe that God exists. Faith is more than just, I, I sure hope that God exists because, you know, when I die, I hope there's something beyond this life. Faith, faith is more than that. Faith is a deep confidence that God is who he says he is. Now, in Hebrews, uh, chapter 11, verse 1 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Um, so uh, faith is actually believing and having deep confidence in the things that God has promised even when the circumstances around us may not reflect what God has promised. So faith will not waver when difficulty comes. Now, sometimes, if, if your belief is just an intellectual assent, then circumstances may challenge your belief and may even cause you uh, to lose faith. 
But if your faith is anchored in who God is rather than what you see, then regardless of your circumstances, you will walk in faith. So faith is, I believe, you will do what you have said you will do. If I have faith in Sam, I believe that Sam will do what Sam has said he will do. If we have faith in God, it means that we believe that God is who he says he is and that he will do the things that he has promised to do. Now, it almost seems when we read through this that Paul got these things out of order because he says faith and then he says hope. And we know that uh, hope is something that seems to, maybe it should have come first because faith is the strong belief in things that we hope for. But we'll just, we'll trust uh, that Paul knew what he was doing here. So he says hope uh, is the second thing, and hope is, is a pretty big deal these days. I've never, I've never lived in a time when more people, it seemed, were losing hope. Uh, my wife and I, are, we participated in a, in a movement called the Awakening Project. And a little over a year ago, we had a gathering in Kentucky with a, a group of college students in connection with this Awakening Project. And, and we were shocked at how many of the college students expressed uh, deep anxiety, uh, deep anxiety and stress over what was going on in the world today and just a loss of hope. And, and these are believers, uh, Christian men and women, young, youngsters, who were losing hope. You'll remember uh, a few years ago, uh, in kind of the, I guess in the deepest time or the hardest time, most difficult time of COVID, uh, we felt led by, by God to do a, an outdoor service that we called the Night of Hope. And I believe that the reason the Lord led us to do that service and to call it a night of hope is because so many people in the community, it seemed, uh, were losing hope. And hope is connected to the future. Uh, when, we have, when we have hope, we're connecting that to things that we are believing for the future. And there's a tendency to look at your circumstances and how, see how things are going and to gauge how the future is going to be based on the way things are going right now. And I think what Paul would say to us and what Jesus would say to us and what I want to say to you is don't do that. Uh, faith is that the promises of God are true regardless of the circumstances in your current situation. And so don't let your current situation cause you to lose hope over the things that God has promised. Hope uh, is attached to the future. And, and we ask questions today like, is there a future? What is the future going to look like? What is the world that my children grow up in 
What is it going to be like? What about my grandchildren? What is the world that my grandchildren grow up in going to look like? I was, uh, as I told you last Sunday, two weeks ago, I was in Wyoming with a group of pastors. There was a group from our network, and then there was a group uh, from Colorado. And one of the Colorado pastors looked at me one night. We were sitting at the fire pit just talking. He said, "Um, what's going to keep us in America in the American church, what's going to keep us from just going the way that that Europe has gone? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, do you have hope for the church in America? Now, I understand where he's coming from, but he didn't really understand my answer. I said, I have incredible hope. For the church, I have incredible church, uh, incredible hope for the church in America. I also have incredible hope for the church in Europe. And he's like, "Why?" And I said, "Well, maybe because I know a lot of pastors in Europe. I have a lot of friends, uh, especially in England, who are experiencing revival. Uh, Pastors and church planters." I have a friend named Greg who went on vacation, we would call it. They call it holiday. Uh, he went on holiday and took a, a seven-day walk, you know, kind of like the Appalachian Trail except across the ocean. And in seven days of hiking, he led 42 people to Jesus. And then when he got back, he needed a haircut, And so he went to get a haircut, and he led his barber to Jesus. And I asked a mutual friend of ours uh, a couple of weeks ago. I said, you know Greg, right? And she said, yes. And she's from England. And I said, does he lead somebody to Jesus every day? And she said, pretty much. Pretty much. And, And that's why I have hope. I see the evidence of God moving through my friends in Europe. And so I have hope for them. I have hope for the church. Uh, in Europe, but I have hope for the church in America because of things like the Awakening Project. I, I look at college students who are gathering from all over. We had like 28 different campuses represented this year at the Awakening Project, and I saw the hunger and the passion for Jesus. I look at RS Collective here at Riverstone that, that Austin and Sam and some others lead, and I see the hunger of young adults coming together. I talked with a mom of one of those Uh, young adults, uh, just last Sunday. And she was talking about how in so many places, this age group, there's there's nothing for them. Uh, But they're they're a hungry generation. And and I see the passion for Jesus and the, the love for God and the discontent with the way things are in the world a desire to see revival. And so those are things that cause me to have hope. But you know what the biggest thing is that causes me to have hope for the future of the church? Jesus said it wouldn't go away. What else do you need? And that's what faith and hope are anchored in the things that Jesus has promised. One of the reasons we love Jeremiah 29 
is because it attaches a promise to the future. Now, the here and now is great, but none of us want to live just in the here and now with no promise of the future. We want to know, is there something coming? We actually want to know, is there something coming that's better than what we currently have? And God promises us that. Jesus has said that the church will last, that the church will overcome, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And, and I think many of us have looked at that passage and we've believed, well, that means that, that hell can't come in and beat us. And that's not what it means. What it means is that we're going there the gates of hell. It doesn't say that hell will not prevail against the gates of earth. It says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, which means we're going to go in there and get what we want. Amen. We're going to go in there and get the people that we want and bring them out. And that, that's really, that's what evangelism is. Because every person who doesn't come to faith, that is their future, is life without God. And so the reason my friend Greg leads somebody to Jesus every day is because he wants hell to be as empty as possible. So uh, there's faith and there's hope. And then Paul talks about love, which he elevates. He elevates faith, hope, and love, but he kind of puts love at the top. And these are things he says about love. Love is patient. Now, just think about these things. Just, just listen to these things, and, and I don't know, you, you can judge yourself. Don't judge your spouse, okay? Judge, you can judge yourself if you want. This, this is what love looks like. Love is patient. Love is kind not envious, doesn't boast or brag, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no list of wrongs, it doesn't delight in evil, it rejoices in the truth. Love always, boy, that, that word always is just kind of haunting. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, never fails. So as I said in the beginning, Paul spends this chapter talking about love, and he spends the chapter before it and, and really a chapter and a half after it talking about spiritual gifts and, and walking in the things of the Spirit. And the truth is, one of the most loving things that we can do, one of the most loving things that we can do is hear and speak encouraging words from God to each other. It's not an accident that Paul drops this whole chapter about love in the middle of his teaching on the importance of prophecy. Because one of the greatest things we can do, one of the most loving things we can do is hear from God about someone else and speak to them 
the truth of God, God's thoughts and God's plans for them. Uh, often, we hear, you know, let's just love each other. Why can't we just love each other as if it's a, a substitute for the deep things of God or a substitute for what we would call the more spiritual attributes of the Christian life. Let's, let's not get so focused on these complicated, deep things of God. Let's just love each other. And I, what I want to say to you today is that loving each other is a deeply spiritual thing. Because when you read through that list, the thing that you realize is that the only one who has ever loved is Jesus. God is the only one who can check all of those boxes perfectly. That's why when we do premarital counseling and we, we lay it out for couples, you're, you're about to get married. And marriage is built on a foundation of unconditional love. And neither of you is capable of loving unconditionally. So you've got two choices. You can get deeply connected to the one who can love unconditionally and does love unconditionally, or you can buckle up your belt for a rocky road. Those are your choices. And what Paul is saying to us here, what Paul is saying to us is that the love that we need is not the love that we muster up. The love that we need is the love of God poured into us and poured through us, as Paul says in Romans 5, by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. We have difficulty understanding all of this because in the English language, love is such a limited idea. We have a broad spectrum of things that we love. We have one word, love, L-O-V-E. Well, guys, guess what? I love pancakes. I love golf. I love my mother. I love my wife. I sure hope that my feelings for my wife are different than my feelings for pancakes. <laughs> you know, in the Greek language, there are at least four words that we would translate love. But the one that we tend to focus on and say this, this is God's love for us is agape, which the, the most, the clearest uh, I guess what you would call the dictionary definition of, of agape is desiring the best for someone else. But the truth of it is, this agape love is not a, kind of, it's not a love that any of us is capable of. In, in the biblical sense, in the, in the Christian sense, it's not, any, it's not a love that any of us is capable of, but it is a love that God is willing to pour through you, that he desires to pour through you. And the key to it, 
Just like the key to faith and the key to hope, the key to it is surrender. When you, when you look at messages or, or when you read even this passage and you see you know, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. You've got to have these things. You've got to have faith. You've got to have hope. You've got to have love. And the tendency for us a lot of times is to read that and go, okay, this time I'm going to do better. This time I'm going to try harder. This time I'm going to believe better. I'm going to have faith. This time I'm going to hope and I'm not going to let circumstances trip me up. And this time I'm going to love. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be kind. You just watch. And how long does it last? Because the key is not mustering it up. The key is not gritting your teeth and trying harder. The key is surrendering. The key is gazing into the face of God and saying, Lord, I can't. But you can. No matter how hard I try, I can't. Even if I did it well, even if I did it better than most, it wouldn't be perfect. It wouldn't be at the level that is available in you. And so, God, I would rather have your best than my best. And so, I lay down my best. I lay down my worst. I lay down all that's in between. And I ask you, can I have yours? Can I have your best? Will you pour your spirit into me? Would you love through me? Would you believe through me? Would you hope through me? Would you give me a confidence in the things that you have promised? I don't want to judge my world by what I see. I want to judge my world by what you have said. Now, let's pray. Lord, I pray today, uh, if there are people here um, who are are struggling, uh, struggling to, to believe, struggling to hope, and struggling to love, I pray that you would open their eyes to you. Not, idea, not ideas, not concepts, but open their eyes today to you, the person of Jesus, the one who has the answers. Open our eyes today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite our teams to come and get in place. We're going to go into a time of of worship. I encourage you to come 
Uh, we would love to pray for you today. Um, and again, I mean, we will pray for you if, if you, for whatever, whatever reason. If you need physical healing, uh, if you have relational uh, issues or emotional healing that, that you need, we would love to pray for you. But I specifically uh, invite you, if you're struggling in, in one of these areas, believing, you know, having faith, hoping, uh, believing that, that, that there's more to life than, than what you're stuck in right now. Uh, loving. Maybe, maybe uh, you have any issues loving God. Maybe you have a hard time with somebody in your life. Maybe, maybe it's you. Maybe, maybe you don't love yourself. So whatever, those, whatever it is you're struggling with today, we'd love to pray for you and, and try to help you. Okay, won't you stand? We're going to worship for a bit. I do encourage you to come and uh, allow one of these teams to, to serve you. Lord, we love you. We ask you, Lord, to make yourself known here. Open our eyes, Lord, to see you for who you really are and to receive from you you long to give us. In Jesus' name, amen.